cannot fail. It is living and abiding, and it causes the new birth. So, God's word creates a new person, a new son or daughter of God. And so on both ends, Peter wraps that command to love with God's power that never fades and never dies. We believe it. God works. We have a new heart. We are born again. Therefore, Peter says, love one another earnestly. What does that kind of love look like? What does it look like to love one another intensely? You have, in, real, in reality, you could read the entire, well, you could read the entire Bible. Uh, you could read the entire New Testament. Every New Testament letter deals with this topic in some shape, form, or fashion. The, the, there's too many examples to count, but there's one that came to mind that I wanted to share, and it's from Romans 12.10. Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. So there's that mutual love, that brotherly love. Philadelphia is the word. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Wow. Outdo one another in showing honor. Normally, we race to the top. Right. Like my my normal life, I don't know about you, my normal life is a race is is a race of one upmanship. It's always I'm always trying to get ahead. I'm always trying to get on top. I'm always trying to be the best, be before. Normal life is a race to the top. Paul says the Christian life is a race to the bottom. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm to outdo you in showing honor to you while you're trying to outdo me in showing honor to me. Man, how sweet would the would life in the church be if all we did was try to outdo one another in showing honor, right? We probably, I don't know if we would get anything done because everybody would be holding the doors open, but nobody would be walking through them, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. That means instead of criticize, I encourage. If I have a critical thing to say, I say it to you. I don't say it about you. What a great rule that is for our marriages. That instead of criticizing my spouse to someone else, if, there, if, there's, if there's a legitimate issue, then we talk about it. But the only word I speak about my spouse to someone else are words of praise and encouragement. I outdo my wife in showing honor to her while she's trying to outdo me in showing honor to me. You feel like that would probably ease a lot of tension in your home, in your marriage? In, in the life of the church in general, if we tried to outdo one another in showing honor. Right? We, I say we, I, don't want to implicate you in my sinfulness. I normally dwell on how much love I receive. Am I getting what I deserve? But Christian love dwells on how much I give. Outdo one another in showing honor. So that's an example. That's a positive example. But Peter here in this level, in this letter, actually gives us a negative example as well. He tells us in the very next verse what it is we need to put off or put away or get rid of. And this comes in the context of his second command to hunger for God. 
Right? He tells us in verse 2 of chapter 2 to long for the pure spiritual milk. But before he does that, he says this in verse 1. So put away, get rid of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. Right? So pretending to love someone while gossiping about them behind their back. It's hypocrisy. And envy... Right? Wanting what someone else has, that is contrary to love. And all slander, all evil speaking. Right? Uh, we could read it this way. Since you have put away such behavior, that's what Peter says. Uh, and I want you to notice how these words describe the opposite of love. All of them are the opposite of love. What does it mean to love? It means to get rid of evil. It means to get rid of deceit. It means to get rid of hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And here's what that tells us. Love is vital and crucial, but it does not come naturally. Peter would not write these words if I naturally didn't slander people. If I naturally wasn't a hypocrite, if I naturally wasn't full of malice, right? We got to be honest with ourselves. To love you is not my default mode. I know that comes as a great shock. It doesn't come as a shock to the people in the front row, okay? My default mode is love me. Um, and what gets really twisted is I can, all right, now how can I get you to love me, Right? And that's not, that's not just passive-aggressive, um, sort of narcissistic people that do that. That's every garden-variety center, right? I am born with a desire to make me the center of the universe and to figure out how I can make you make me the center of the universe. What can I do to get you to love me? I love that somebody said amen to that. That's good, right? It's true, right? Um. That has to be, it, love is vital and crucial, but it doesn't come naturally. This wouldn't be written in this. So I said this in Sunday school earlier. Let's not idolize the, the New Testament church. Let's not pretend, man, that they had, a, they had it all together. If we could just get back there. Oh, oh, for the good old days, right? Just read the New Testament, right? Read those letters. Read what was going on in places like Corinth and uh, where James was writing to, Right? We'll see that they, they struggled to follow Jesus' uh, example just like we struggled to follow Jesus' example. And so how does Peter encourage them? How does, he, how does he push them in that direction? He says, since, right, having put away all those things, those negative, uh, the, those uh, unloving attitudes and behaviors, instead, be like hungry newborn babies. Right? Uh, have you ever... If you've ever seen a young baby, a newborn baby, an infant, man, a whole lot they can do. In fact, there's really not anything they can do. All they can do is be hungry. And they'd be hungry a lot. Right? They are made to eat. And they will eat. Every time, like, like you get a bottle close to a baby's face, they know what to do. Right? Peter says, crave 
pure spiritual milk like that. Now, in other places, milk is used negatively of those who are immature in the faith, but that's not what, Peter's, that's not what Peter does here. He speaks of it very positively. And some have said that, okay, what, what does he mean by pure spiritual milk? He must be talking about the word. But actually, there's another way. There's, there's a, if, if that's what Peter had meant, he could have said it that way. Uh, Peter doesn't mean read your Bible more or listen to more sermons, though those are good things to do. He means cra- literally hunger for God more. Crave God more. So, right, you, you have tasted that the Lord is good because you were converted, right? You heard his word and you believe. So the word is indispensable. But as John Calvin says, uh, Peter means every grace that the Christian needs to survive is what Peter is talking about here. Literally, we are to hunger for God. We are to crave him like a newborn baby craves milk. So we're putting away, we're putting off those behaviors, and we're hungering for God. And Peter says, when we do that, we will grow up into salvation. That means that salvation is not simply something that happens in the past. Salvation is not just once and done, right? I prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, done. But that salvation is a process. By which, into which we grow. That we are maturing and growing up into salvation. And one day, someday, we will be there. We will be finally and fully saved in the new heavens and the new earth. Between here and there, there's a lot of growing pains. Not just for you as an individual Christian, but for everybody you make mad along the way. Right? That's what Peter's talking about. We've got to love one another while we're hungering for God and growing through this process, this painful process called sanctification. Right? And Peter ends it this way. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we, uh, we, read, the, we read the sermon passage every uh, Tuesday morning in our staff meeting. Um, in fact, in fact any, any good things that you hear on a Sunday morning are likely the result of somebody else at our staff meeting saying it. Uh, and so I'm going to give Charlotte Mims, our secretary, the, the kudos today. She said this, when you, when you taste that something is good, you want more of it. That's what, that's what Peter is encouraging us with. Since you've tasted that the Lord is good, get more, crave more. Hunger for more. And as you hunger for more, put off those, that evil, the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy. And love one another earnestly because you have been born again. And so I would ask you this morning, have you ever tasted that the Lord is good? We opened our worship service with Psalm 34, which is also in the background of what Peter is writing here. And he's going to refer to it again. But I would just invite you this morning, have you ever tasted that the Lord is good? Are you, are you tired of the broken cisterns that hold no water? Are you tired of scraping together mud and dirt and trying to survive on that? I want you to hear the invitation of Jesus 
We read it. Fred read it earlier. Uh, that he is the bread of life. That he is the water of life. And that no one who comes to Jesus will ever hunger or thirst. If you would want to be completely satisfied and enabled to actually love another human being, you must first be loved by God. You must first know the love of God in Jesus Christ. And that's an invitation. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you help us to taste and see that you are good. For everyone who has not yet had that taste, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would know your goodness, that they would know what it means to be satisfied by you. And for those of us who go by your name, who would call ourselves sons and daughters of yours, I pray that we too would be satisfied with you, that we would hunger for you like a newborn baby hungers for milk, and that you would grow us into the salvation that you have for us so that we can love one another well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.